In between 67 and 63 BC, there was a struggle in the in the Middle East in the independent Jew, Judean or Jewish kingdom of Judea. Uh, two brothers named Hyrcanus and Aristobulus uh, were vying for the throne of this independent kingdom. One of them, Aristobulus, uh, made overtures to the Nabataean Arabs and the Epidemian people uh, for support. He figured if he had some help, it would influence the outcome of the struggle. The other brother, Hyrcanus, seeing or learning of this, decided to make overtures to another power that was just then beginning to emerge in the Middle East, and that was Rome. Rome was up in Syria at the time under the general Pompey of fame, of Roman fame. So these two brothers allied themselves with these other powers in order to ensure their own, their own kingdoms or their own coming to the power of the kingdom. By the way, the Idumeans uh, gave birth to the Herodian family, so you can see what's happening here by their actions. Things that would later be a part of our tradition uh, really emerge into Jewish tradition at this time. Well, the brother who allied himself with Rome won. Hyrcanus became king, but Hyrcanus didn't become king the way he thought. He saw that he thought that he would rule absolutely, and Rome would be an ally. Rome had different plans, obviously. So when that occurred, Pompey had a great curiosity. He had heard that Jews didn't have idols in their temple, and he wanted to see for himself. So you have to sort of use your imagination here, but in this place it's easy to do. The temple at that time in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, had a was a large courtyard. It wasn't just the building, but a large courtyard with walls around it. Uh, and the people packed in there for the services, and a lot of the sacrifices and things were done on the outside. Uh, but then there was the temple building, uh, where only the priests could go. And the temple building actually looked something like this. Stone walls, maybe a little smaller, wood ceilings. Uh, and at one end, at this end, there was a cubed space where it was believed God came and made himself manifest. And every Jew understood this. Only the high priest could go into the, that, that holy of holies, it was called. But the priest could come into this place. And Pompey wanted to see for himself. He'd heard that there were no idols up there, no statues of the gods. Come on, what kind of people does a thing like this? So he went in to, to see for himself. He went into the temple first, where he had no business being, because nobody but priests could go in there. And then he went into the holy of holies, and he saw nothing, an empty room. Now, as my wife would say, hold that thought. <laughs> Let it sit back there. Nativity is coming upon us. As you know, when we get to Advent, we begin to anticipate the Feast of the Nativity. And unfortunately, we Christians tend to think that Nativity means the beginning of the Incarnation. And this is not correct. The Incarnation begins on the 25th of, or we commemorate it on the 25th of March, the Annunciation. When God comes to Blessed Virgin Mary in the Annunciation, the Incarnation takes place. So what we celebrate at the Nativity is the manifestation in the infant child of the Incarnation. Now it's probably not coincidental that originally in the practice of the church, the nativity was celebrated in January along with the epiphany, the manifestation. And you had really three manifestations that were mentioned. 
the, the manifestation of God in, in the child, in the nativity, in, in the flesh, the manifestation of God to the Gentiles as told in the story of the three wise men, and the manifestation of God as the Holy Trinity as told in the story of the baptism of Christ. The manifestation, God is making himself seen, visible. That's what nativity is about. And Advent, which we are in, is a time of preparation for the nativity, of preparing ourselves and prepare ourselves to see. What, let me just backtrack here for a second. What does manifestation mean? It means to make itself, himself visible. This is what God does. And what does that mean to us? It means three basic things that ought to be a part of our basic understanding of why we're here. First and foremost, it is encounter. Encounter with the living God. The Jews of the first century B.C., at the time that Pompey marched into that temple and thought he saw nothing, uh, understood that even in the emptiness of that room, there was a presence there which made itself visible, even in the emptiness. And that presence was God himself. So the first thing, they encountered God in that place. In fact, it is said in some sources, I haven't been able to verify this, that the high priest, when he went into that Holy of Holies once a year, had a chain tied, tied to his ankle. So that in case he saw God and died from the experience, he could be dragged out and no one else would have to go in and get him. So there's some humor in that story, although it has a lot of, a lot of wisdom to it as well. He, they expected that one would encounter God in that empty place, seemingly empty. So it's first and foremost an encounter. Secondly, it's an explanation. Manifestation is an explanation of what one has encountered, of whom one has encountered. How do you explain it? How do you tell? How do you tell anyone? This is what I have experienced. How do we explain the nativity? It's becoming more and more difficult, is it not? People don't understand anymore. I've heard for years that this is all about the birth of a child. Really? Just any child? Hardly. It is God incarnate in child form. It's far more than just the birth of a child. How do we get this all across to society who doesn't even get it? Or it's about Christmas trees and lights and love if you, want, if you watch all the Christmas shows uh, on TV. What is it? The, the network uh, Hallmark. Yeah. You know. Some of you are smiling. I know you watch Hallmark. You're giving yourselves away. Uh, so it's encounter and it's, it's understanding or comprehension. And to have those two together is to see. It is to see beyond just the visible, but to understand and experience the type of seeing. What, an, what a way. Uh, my, one of my favorite Orthodox theologians, Vladimir Olosky, starts one of his books by saying, all theology is a description of an encounter with God. And that changed my life when I first read that. It was the first time in my life I'd ever heard a theologian who wasn't just speculating about things, but who instead was trying to speak of what he had encountered. That's what it's all about. That's what manifestation is. It is to speak of what we have encountered, of whom we have encountered. Because it's not just what. According to Father's Elder Singer, the Saint Sophronia of Essex, it is the whom of reality. And so we, we encounter, we understand, and we see. Now, Advent is a time to prepare ourselves for that. So the disciplines of Advent are not just meant to give us, oh, some things to do. 
And really, Advent is a, is, a, is a reflection of the whole of the Christian life. So it's not like we just do this once or twice a year. We're supposed to be doing it all the time, every time tweaking our disciplines so that we step a little bit more deeply into the mystery. So we're not just going nowhere in this life, we're headed somewhere, right into the heart of that holy of holies, which is the presence of God himself. And so in Advent, we prepare through prayer, obviously, and if we pray, and we all should be praying people, prayer warriors, as we like to say sometimes, uh, but taking that for granted, then we should tweak our prayers just a fraction, just a little bit more during Advent and during Lent, and repeat the process yearly, if not all the time. Secondly, repentance. We look into our hearts and find and identify the things that keep God out, because that's what our sin does. It keeps him out. It keeps him at arm's length. And he doesn't want to be at arm's length. He wants us in his presence. You know what I love about the, the icons of the mother of God? She's like humanity, the throne of God. And he sits in her lap. That's the way we're supposed to be, the throne of God. Wow. It's amazing. And so repentance keeps that from happening. So we repent, we look at our sins and we ask God to forgive us. We identify them and admit them. Do you know that the penalty for the fall of man in the Garden of Eden story in chapter three of Genesis does not occur until Adam refuses to admit his fault. When he blames God and the woman, then the fall is administered. So what would have happened? What would have happened? We have no way of knowing, I guess. If Adam had said, I have sinned against heaven and against you, we all might be in a whole different situation now in reality had he done that. So we do it. We do it. We do what Adam did not do. And paradise is restored to us or begins to be restored to us as individuals. Well, then there's fasting. You know, the sin of Adam was a sin of doing the one thing he told not to do. Don't eat that. Now you can translate eat any way you want to. The fact of the matter is the story is told in such a way as to focus on eating or consuming through food. So fasting is controlling that very instinct which led to the fail of humanity and the separation of humanity from God. And so we fast. It doesn't mean we starve ourselves to death like some of the saints. We don't have to be like that. All we have to do is cut back just a little bit. It's hard enough, isn't it? <laughs> just try to cut one meal down to half the size you usually eat. Or just sit in front of the TV and watch all the commercials on those triple-decker hamburgers and the pizzas and you know, all that fried chicken coming out, the, falling out of the buckets. Uh, and five minutes of willpower shot. I mean, and how many times do we, they want us to immediately call an order out? See, so that's why they present them that way. Uh, so we fast from those things just a little bit. Just a little bit to change so that we begin not to be rooted to the things of this earth like our passions, but open to God. He said to fast, and we do. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. Study. It's a time to study the faith to seek to understand it more, uh, more profoundly, to understand what it is we have experienced. We don't get it. Even if we come into the presence of God, we're going, what? What is this? 
If we look in the writings of others, if we look in the writings of the scriptures, we can find the answers to that. It will tell us because they have been there. They have been there and they've seen it and they've experienced it and they're telling us about it so that we can experience the same thing and know what it is we're experiencing. So we need to study and examine the faith constantly, but especially in Advent and Lent. Um, and by the way, years ago I had a parishioner who told me, Father, I'm not a reader, so I can't do this stuff. Well, come on. In this electronic age, I mean, you can get on Ancient Faith Radio and get the daily scripture reads from the Eastern Rite, read to you word for word. You can get a, through the Bible all at once from James Earl Jones and narrating it. Now, come on, what more can you ask for? Uh, there are podcasts and all kinds of things where audible, the audible sense is used. It serves the same function. There's really no excuse for us not knowing, not seeking to know. And one of the great tragedies I find is Christians who cannot argue that we even present the truth of the gospel because they don't have a clue what it is we believe. That should never be said of us. Because if it is, it means we have not encountered the living God, which is what we're here to do. And that's why we study and we seek, because we want to know Him. All of that is to begin to see when we do those things. We begin to see, and suddenly we come to the nativity. And it's not just the birth of a child or Merry Christmas or Santa Claus is coming or some such thing. But, it, but an expression of that which we have encountered in our daily lives. Of God himself. You know, we don't want to be like Pompey and show up in the temple of God and see nothing. We want to be a people who have encountered the living God who is here and who is everywhere and makes himself manifest. You know, I would, I would add two things which strike me as, as very, very interesting. At the end of the Eastern Rite Liturgy, it's not uncommon to sing a hymn, the first words of which we have seen the true light. And in us, at the last gospel, when it is the prologue of St. John, we beheld his glory. Those are more than just trite words. They should speak of what has actually happened. So Advent is the time for us to move into that. See yourselves, if you will, as entering into that. Remember the blind man who came to Christ and, he, and Christ said, What do you want of me? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. That we may receive our sight and truly see and know and encounter. And, and that's really the essence of what it means to be saved, to be able to do that. May God grant us that grace during this holy time of Advent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.